Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music. The trivia. And the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. Set up some cold ones. Donna, what is our episode? We're ready to go out to lunch. Air date was March 14th, 1981. Story by Ben Alisco. Teleplay by PJ Tarakvi as Peter Tarakvi. Story editor Lisa Levin. Executive story consultants Dan Gunselman and Steve Marshall. Directed by Dolores Ferraro. Bailey is upset when it seems that everyone else has an expense account for lunches except her. Meanwhile, Herb has been having a lot of lunches with clients and having a lot of drinks to help close a deal. His drinking gets out of hand. WKRP continues to soldier on at 8 p.m. on Saturday nights. Most shows relegated to Saturday nights aren't able to break into the top half of the programming ranks most weeks. Only ABC's The Love Boat at 9 p.m. on Saturday nights is able to deliver a consistent top 10 finisher. Sometimes Love Boat's follow-up, Fantasy Island, will notch a top 20 finish. Throughout the winter, WKRP was acting as lead-in for the comedy variety series The Tim Conway Show. Now, The Tim Conway Show had premiered over the summer of 1980. It was originally an hour By fall, it had been cut down to a half an hour. That is not a good sign. The ill-fated show would bounce around the schedule a bit, finally completely fading away to cancellation as of last week. Starting this week, WKRP is now the opening act for three-camera sitcom Flow. Kiss my grits! Flow, starring Polly Holiday, was a spinoff from the Linda Lavin hit Alice. This was Flo's fourth time slot in under a year. Flo was another show that had fallen from ratings grace and was heading out the door via Saturday nights. Kiss my grand! Flo will make it through to the end of the television season, but these are her final new shows. We did check in with associate producer Max Tosh about our writer, Ben Alisco. Ben is as elusive as Dayton Heights writer John Schmett when it comes to background information. Ben does have two other writing credits in addition to WKRP on his IMDb profile. Both of the others are for a half-hour anthology series called Insight. It was an American program produced by the Roman Catholic Church. Matt said Hugh was known for giving first-time writers a chance. If they could produce a serviceable story, Hugh, or in this case PJ, would rewrite it from word one, but the writer would still get credit. Max said this practice was very common among MTM shows at the time. Since Ben has a story by instead of written by credit, this is most likely the case here. We have a first-time writer and a first-time director on this one. Dolores Ferraro is a female director with nine episodes of TV on her IMDb profile. This is her very first shot at directing. She will go on to do two more episodes of WKRP in the fourth season. Dolores also directed episodes of Different Strokes, Facts of Life, Alice, and others. Her directing career ran from 1981 through 1987. We couldn't find any personal information on Dolores. Let's get into the episode. We start out in the bullpen with Bailey and Les. Bailey's spreading a paper placemat out on her desk. It looks like she's getting ready to eat her lunch, kind of in a sad way there at her desk. She asks Les why he never takes her out someplace for lunch. 
Les tells her it isn't necessary. Bailey tells him it is necessary. She has to eat. Les looks at the kind of sad sandwich she's holding. You are eating. Bailey looks at the sandwich in her hand. This is eating, eating. It's not the same as business eating. As in a business lunch at some simple but extremely expensive little French place. Les tells Bailey it's a pointless waste of money and she wouldn't like it. Okay, I wouldn't like it. Snails. Uh-huh. And besides snails. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner, Les Nesman. This is the Les Nesman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nesman. Right? This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nesman. The door to the studio hallway opens. Andy sticks his head in, asking if Herb is around. Les tells him Herb and Mr. Carlson are having lunch with a media buyer from some big agency. Andy comes on in and strides across the bullpen. Probably at some simple but extremely expensive little French place. Although I'm sure they're not enjoying it. Herb has an expense account, Bailey. It's different. That's how sales works. Andy slams a filing drawer shut. Herb is a hose pail. (laughs) (laughs) What now? Andy's rifling through papers on Herb's desk. Bailey asks him to repeat what he just said. Uh, uh, a hose pail, Bailey. It's a word I use instead of uh, swearing. Yeah, a hose pail. Uh, Les asks Andy what he thinks he's doing. Well, Les, it appears as though I'm going to write some commercial copy for a record store. Bailey asks him why. Well, Andy says he and Herb were supposed to meet with this owner of the record store at noon. He's in my office now, and it's almost uh, 2 o'clock. Uh-oh. Eh, it's just a little customer from a little record store. No big ad agency guy, so I guess Herb has every right to treat him like a piece of dog food. Johnny and Venus enter through the studio hallway door. Now, let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing a solid, shiny, purple, long-sleeved shirt, unbuttoned to mid-chest, with a black sweater, with the sleeve cuffs tucked into each other around his neck. He's wearing dark blue velvet pants. Johnny tells Andy there's some angry guy stomping around in front of his office. That's the dog food man. (laughs) Dog food man. (laughs) Andy jumps up from his chair and starts to leave when Johnny and Venus stop him. Venus holds out pieces of paper, asking Andy to pick one as Johnny sings a trumpet fanfare. Andy picks one of the slips of paper, glances at it, says, thank you, and he leaves the bullpen. Johnny and Venus repeat this same little act with Bailey. Smiling, Bailey takes one of the slips of paper and asks what it is. Venus begins to explain, but Bailey continues interrupting him. Johnny and I were having lunch at this place. Yeah, yeah. Expensive? Yeah, a record company guy paid for it. What'd you have? I had a shrimp salad, and I think he had a a pheasant. You ate a pheasant? Johnny looks at Les for a long moment. I guess so. (laughs) A whole pheasant? I don't know, Les. Uh, It was the most expensive thing on the menu, so I got it. about the cost of pheasant. We couldn't find a restaurant with pheasant on the menu where they'd tell you a price. But we did find whole frozen pheasant available for sale on the internet. A whole pheasant weighs between two and three pounds. They go for anywhere from 15 to $25 per pound. So it's about 50 bucks for a frozen whole adult bird. Since this would be the cost to a restaurant, a whole pheasant as a menu item, it would be pretty pricey. Are you looking for a little French place in Cincinnati? They are out there. Don't miss Buena Terra or La Bar à Bouffe. 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 And for a highly rated but entirely (laughs) understated lunch, I think this is what Bailey was looking for. Get to the French crust at the corner of Elm and Elder in the Findlay Market. Bailey holds up her slip of paper and asks what it is. Venus says they are sweepstakes tickets. The record company guys bought one for everyone at the station. Les asks where his is. Venus holds the array of tickets out for Les to choose one. 
Les starts to pick one, but something is missing. He gives a look to Johnny. Satisfied, Les picks a ticket. (laughs) Herb and Art come in through the glass doors. I don't sweat, big guy. A couple more lunches like this and we got him in the bag. Art does not look steady on his feet. I think I'm already in the bag, Herb. (laughs) Well, I don't know how you do it. A couple more lunches like this and I'm going to be an alcoholic. Herb tells him he's just out of shape. Venus holds the tickets out for Carlson and he picks one. Thanks, Venus. Uh, Oh, golly, I feel badly. I didn't get you anything. Johnny picks a ticket and hands it to Herb. Here you go, Herb. Wah, wah. Andy pokes his head into the bullpen from the studio hallway door. Herb, do you have any idea what time it is? Andy is pointing to his watch as he says this. Smiling, Herb tells Andy. Round two. Herb, <laughs> laughing a little, turns and looks at Mr. Carlson. Carlson is laughing. Ask him if he knows what day it is. (laughs) Andy tells Herb that Margison, the guy from the record store, has been in his office for three hours. Herb looks at Andy and points at him. Tuesday. (laughs) Herb and Mr. Carlson laugh. Andy walks over to Herb. Herb, I'm going to punch you right in your polyester heart. Herb tells Andy to lighten up. I'll fix it. Be okay. Herb opens his desk drawer and ta-da, pulls out a bottle of whiskey. Hmm. He starts for the door leading back to Andy's office. Andy points at the bottle in Herb's hand and he asks him what he's going to do. I'm going to pour a couple of cocktails and ink a couple of deals. It's called salesmanship. Herb shuts the door behind him. Since when does Herb keep a bottle of whiskey in his desk? No one answers. Andy looks to Bailey for an answer. About a month or so. Hey, and did you check out how Bailey has seemingly wrapped herself around Johnny there sitting on the couch? That is super close and tight. Very yeah. comfy cozy. We've got the twin inboards, cutoffs, and now practically sitting in his lap while eating an apple. The rumors have to be flying around the station about these two. Well, I wonder what else he's got in there. Three combs, a brush, breath spray, six or seven bottles of aftershave, and some clean socks. They all turn to look at Les. Of course, I'm just guessing. Yeah, he's just guessing. You remember at the start of Jennifer Moves how we found Les borrowing Herb's comb? We think Les knows more about what's going on in Herb's desk than he lets on. As Les exposes Herb's desk secrets... We head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back to the lobby where Jennifer is on the phone. Venus and Johnny are standing next to her desk waiting for her to hang up. Jennifer tells the person on the other end that Mr. Carlson is not available. He is still recovering from lunch. (laughs) She hangs up the phone. Smiling, Johnny begins, with Venus hanging right over his shoulder. I've got a gift for you. We've got a gift for you. Uh, I thought that. We thought that. We thought there's probably nothing that you wanted more in this life than a free Irish sweepstakes ticket. Jennifer throws her hands up in surprise as Venus holds the tickets out for her to pick one. Jennifer takes a ticket. How thoughtful of you. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Jennifer thanks them both. And you know, don't let anybody tell you that you two hang around together too much, all right? (laughs) Johnny and Venus put their arms around each other's shoulders and start to leave the lobby together. Venus and Johnny are handing out tickets to... The Irish Sweepstakes. Although the Irish Sweepstakes has been sitcom fodder for decades, it is a real thing. The Sweepstakes was founded in the 1930s. Originally, it was called the Irish Hospital's Free State Sweepstakes. Well, that's a good name, isn't it? That's a long one. The whole thing was a scam cloaked in the noble mission of raising money for Irish Free State Hospitals. A temporary hospital funding provision that passed in 1930 allowed for the sweepstakes to be created. Turns out the payouts to both charities and winners were, surprise, surprise, very low. The sweepstakes made its organizers rich. Richard Dugan, (laughs) a well-known Dublin bookmaker who'd run a number of illegal lotteries over the years, was one of the founders of the Irish sweepstakes. That's the guy you want involved with your sweepstakes. They had nurses in uniform doing the drawings to make everything look all official. Tickets were sold internationally. Now, since lotteries were illegal at the time in the United States, many tickets were sold in the U.S. to Irish nationals. 
By the 1960s, sales had slowed. U.S. lotteries were becoming legal and common. In 1986, the Irish government created its own public lottery. The sweepstakes had its last drawing in January of 1986. The Irish sweepstakes has been a plot point for movie and TV writers for years. In 1935, the movie The Winning Ticket was about an Irish sweepstakes winner. I Love Lucy, My Three Sons, and Hazel all had sweepstakes-themed episodes. Gilligan joined the ranks of the Howells for one episode thanks to his thought-to-be-a-winner Irish sweepstakes ticket. Herb has come into the lobby with a gentleman. They're both carrying plastic cups, taking sips from them now and then. Herb stops Johnny and Venus to introduce them to record store owner Ray Margison. Margison shakes hands, but he keeps looking over towards Jennifer throughout the introductions. She's sitting at her desk reading a hardcover book. Margison eventually makes his way over to Jennifer's desk. Wow, it is amateur night on WKRP. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) A first-time writer, brand-new director, and now Ray Margison is being played by first-time actor Michael Sherman. Make the most of it, gang. This is the only place you will ever see Michael Sherman on either TV or in the movies. He does have a profile on IMDb, and this is his single acting credit. His entire bio says, Michael Sherman is an actor known for WKRP in Cincinnati. I've studied the whole Sherman over. I know all about Sherman's career. Man, his fan club would not have a lot to talk about, would they? So Marguson walks up to Jennifer's desk and holding out his hand, he greets Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. And wow, is this guy a dork. Jennifer slowly turns her head to look at Ray. Say hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. (laughs) She loves you. The volume Jennifer is reading at her desk is called The Very Rich Book. It was written by Jacqueline Thompson and published in January of 1981 by William Morrow and Company. The subtitle says it all. America's super millionaires and their money, where they got it, how they spend it. Is Jennifer seeking out future bows? It ought to be subtitled Jennifer Marlowe Shopping List. (laughs) Well, did the Admiral kick the bucket? No, I think she's just looking ahead. She's realistic. Herb tells Ray he's got to get back to work, and he shakes his hand, moving him towards the door of the lobby that leads out. Great meeting you. Nice doing business with you, and don't worry about a thing. Herb is pushing Ray towards the door as he talks. Drive careful. I don't want you to have an accident and spilling that 12-year-old scotch on you, right? Okay. Take care, buddy. Remember Herb's 12-year-old scotch? There's a callback later. Once Ray has gone, Herb turns and walks to the filing cabinet, draining his cup as he goes. He looks at Johnny and Venus, who are standing by the file cabinet. Herb says he should be getting kickbacks from them for turning all this work their way. You do. (laughs) I'll never mention that to anyone. Right. Johnny asks Herb when he wants to cut the spots. Herb tells them to both be at the station at 10 o'clock sharp in the morning. I'm here anyway. Johnny looks at Venus. Want to look at some uh, Carly Simon album covers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Johnny and Venus leave the lobby. So Johnny and Venus were probably going to check out influences in musical styles on those Carly Simon albums, right? Right. Yeah, then again, maybe not. <laughs> it was no secret among DJs in the 70s, Miss Simon was a good-looking woman, and she liked to show off a bit on her album covers. Anticipation, Playing Possum, and Boys in the Trees all had what were considered hot covers at the time. One of the most scandalous was the cover to 1972's No Secrets. She was photographed for that cover by Ed Carath outside the Portobello Hotel in London. Carly is very definitely braless in a clingy blue sweater. And how can you tell? She's got no secrets, although it... <laughs> It contained the smash hit, You're So Vain. We're betting the album cover did go a long way when it came to selling units 
of that particular title. Herb mentioned getting Venus and Johnny kickbacks on production work. Normally, production done by a radio station is free to the advertiser. It's like a cell company giving you a free phone. You can't be on the station if you don't have a spot. So the station will write the copy and do the production to the advertiser's specifications. Once an advertiser has a spot produced... Then they can buy time to run it. In-station voices on production are usually free. When you're a DJ, doing voice work for station production is part of being on the station staff. Sometimes a known voice on the station, like a highly rated morning man or maybe a popular talk show host, will be able to command a talent fee for doing voice work. It's most common in very large markets where air talent has representation. For most markets, the voices you hear on station copy, the ones that you recognize as being DJs, those were free to the advertiser. Herb pulls a file from the drawer. He walks over to Jennifer. Uh, Jenny Pooh, would you do me a favor? Jennifer looks up from the book she's reading. What? Uh, get Charlie Bathgate on the phone, you know, for me, and then, uh, you know, just be real official. Make us sound big time. Jennifer starts looking through her Rolodex as Andy comes out of Mr. Carlson's office. Ah, well, Mr. Tarlick, been threatened recently? Herb tells Andy everything's cool. Andy asks if everything is okay with Mr. Margison. The guy is signed, sealed, and schnocker. Herb laughs. Andy asks Herb to step into Art's office for a second. Carlson's sitting at his desk with his head resting on his right hand as if he has a bad headache, which I think he does. I think he does, yeah. Herb looks at Carlson and starts laughing. You've been getting loaded a lot lately, haven't you, Herbert? I'm not loaded. The big guy's loaded. I'm fine. Herb bends down and looks right at Art. Come on, big guy. Do something loaded for him. (laughs) Andy is not amused. He tells Herb he had too much to drink at lunch today, and it made him forget all about Margison. You're wrong, Andy. I forgot about the meeting before we started drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Herb laughs, telling Andy he fixed it, didn't he? And besides, that lunch was important. Herb goes over to Mr. Carlson. Big guy, I am surprised that you didn't tell Andrew about the big deal I'm trying to get together. Herb slams his hand down on Carlson's desk, causing Carlson to wince. I am in serious pain here. (laughs) Andy asks Herb about the big deal he's talking about. Herb tells Andy this is big time. The Sky Bathgate is a media buyer for Swallard, Batchman, and Thomas. Ring a bell? One of Cincinnati's largest ad agencies. I don't do well with ad agencies, but this time... I'm not going to have to deal direct with all these little retailers. This chicken feed, you know what I mean? But this guy, this guy Bathgate is responsible for $7 million of media money a year and is all for radio and TV. And that buying group, totally made up. Andy's sitting on a couch and looks at Herb. Well, that's fine, Herb, but what's all this got to do with your drinking problem? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What drinking problem? The one I'd like to talk to you about. Herb can't believe what he's hearing. He begins pacing around the office as he talks. The one he would like to drink. (laughs) (laughs) Are you kidding me? Drink. Herb walks over to where there's a fish mounted on the wall and begins talking to it. I am talking about the biggest deal of my life, and this man is talking about a drink or two. Andy stands up and walks over to Herb, telling him he drinks a lot. Herb is standing behind Mr. Carlson. Mr. Carlson has his eyes closed, and he's holding a small fish statue or fish trophy to his forehead. Herb puts his hands on Andy's shoulders. I am a professional now. Come on, you've done sales. You know how it works. Booze is a tool, right, big guy? Oh. <laughs> Herb pats Art on the back with both of his hands, which causes Art to jump and let out a startled cry. Oh. <laughs> Andy gets face-to-face with Herb, telling him he's talking seriously here. I am fine. Thank you for caring. I can handle it. I don't even drink at home. Never. All right, all right, I know. Maybe a a few beers on the weekends, but that's it. Herb puts his hands on Andy's upper arms and looks him in the eyes. It's business. Herb walks towards the door. I am a professional, and it's just business. And he heads on out. We transition to a bar, and this is my favorite scene of the whole episode. Had you been tuned in to CBS in March of 1981, you'd have heard Jive Talkin' by the Bee Gees playing in the background. Shout Factory could not clear the rights to Jive Talkin', so we're getting a sound-alike. It has the Moog synthesizer, which was a hallmark of the original, and it has the same beat. 
The lyrics are the big giveaway. They are very clear in this section. Check it out. That helps. As we break down this scene, we will be pulling clips from the Shout Factory discs. As we fade up, a man has just entered the bar and he's saying hello to everyone in the bar. You can tell he's very much a regular. He walks up to the bar where we see Herb. Herb turns around, sees the guy, and greets him. Herbie. Charlie! Two shake hands. Even though we can't hear it, we can talk about it. Jive Talkin' was a huge number one hit in 1975 for the Brothers Gibb, the Bee Gees. This was considered their comeback song. They'd struggled in the early 70s. They had singles that barely cracked the Hot 100. Jive Talkin' was their first number one in four years. It features one of the earliest uses of a synth bass on a recording. The song was also included in the 1977 soundtrack album for the film Saturday Night Fever. Now, even though the scene featuring this song was cut from the final film... Its inclusion on this soundtrack has forever linked Jive Talkin' to disco. Charlie Bathgate is being played by Craig T. Nelson. If you've had a TV on for more than 20 minutes in the last 40 years, you've probably seen Craig T. Nelson doing his thing. He is the slightly annoyed everyman with the receding hairline, and Americans will seemingly watch him in anything. Nelson was born April 4th, Four four of nineteen forty four, giving him the birth date four four forty four. Craig has ninety one acting credits on his IMDb profile, but those include dozens of episodes of network television, one hundred ninety nine episodes of Coach, one hundred and three episodes of Parenthood, eighty nine episodes of The District, and did not know this just recently. He did 23 episodes of CBS's Young Sheldon from 2019 to 2021. Nelson got his start doing stand-up comedy. His first TV credit is on the 1970 Tim Conway Comedy Hour as one of the third bananas. (laughs) (laughs) He's also in the movie that I love at Christmas time, The Family Stone. And Poltergeist. He's the dad in Poltergeist. That's right, man. Craig is just part of the fabric of our lives. So Charlie tells her he'd like a scotch and water. And keep scotch and water for my friend, one for my rabbit, one for me. Put it on my tab. You don't have a tab. (laughs) Everybody's a comic. The bartender is being played by Alan Toy. This guy is pretty amazing. We love checking into guest star bios because you sometimes run across folks like Alan Toy. This is only Alan's second listed appearance on IMDb. He will go on to have 52 acting credits on both TV and in the movies. He was a recurring character, Professor Finley, for five episodes of Beverly Hills 90210 in 1995. He also appeared on the big screen in movies like The Aviator and Clint Eastwood's In the Line of Fire. What makes Alan so amazing? A standout among other actors? Well, you wouldn't know it from this scene, but Alan was a victim of polio when he was three years old. He is a paraplegic without the use of his legs. This has not slowed Alan one bit. Actually, if anything, it has energized him. Alan has worked his entire career to change the way people with disabilities are portrayed in media. He was co-founder of the SAG-AFTRA AEA Interguild Committee of Performers with Disabilities. Alan has also served on boards and committees throughout Southern California dedicated to improving transit and housing for people with disabilities. This is our bartender, Alan Toy. Herb ordered one for my rabbit while he was at the bar. This is a reference to the classic play-turned-1950 James Stewart movie, Harvey. Harvey, you might remember, was an invisible six-foot-four white rabbit. Elwood P. Dowd, the central character, explains that Harvey is a puka, 
a mythical character from Celtic mythology. Only Elwood can see Harvey. Elwood is also quite a drinker. Just like Herb, he often orders around for his unseen rabbit. Charlie is spraying some breath spray into his mouth. He turns to Herb and asks how the action is. Weird. Oh, great. I love weird. Hey, we all do. You kidding? (laughs) The drinks come and the two enjoy their first sips. Keep your eyes open in this scene. According to America's favorite radio station, one of the uncredited women at the bar is Cindy Jump, Gordon Jump's daughter. We think it's the blonde in the blue dress, but you only see her for a second or two. Herb puts his hand on Charlie's shoulder and looks him in the eye. Tell me something. What? I don't care anything. I'm lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Charlie and Herb laugh. Herb tells the bartender they need two more drinks. Herb puts his arm around the guy sitting at the bar. How you doing? The man gives him a dirty look, gets up, and walks away. Thanks a lot, buddy. That was a good move. I need to remember that move. There are now two stools side by side. Herb sits down and he motions for Charlie to sit, too. Herb looks at Charlie. Seriously, now. Are you ever going to send any business my way? Oh, eventually. Probably. Yeah, Why? Nothing important. Just had to talk about business for a couple of seconds so I can write all this off on my expense account. They both laugh. Charlie tells him that's great. I think Herb is a little more serious about getting that business than he lets on, but he says he's an ethical guy. Hey, tell me about it. I'm a buyer. I don't think I've had a dinner and drink in over six years. They both laugh as the bartender puts in another drink in front of each of them. The screen blurs and then it comes into focus again. Some time has passed. The bar is empty except for Charlie and Herb, who are still sitting at the bar. We can hear the song Every Night by Paul McCartney. Every night I just want to go out, get out of my head. Every day I don't want to get up, get out of my bed. Every night I And this most likely is a commentary on Herb's drinking habits. Every Night comes from Paul McCartney's debut solo album from 1970. It was simply titled McCartney. Like George Harrison's Here Comes the Sun, this is a song that came out of the Get Back, Let It Be sessions from Twickenham Studios in January of 1969. It is very much a reflection on the breakup of the Beatles. Although McCartney never released it as a single, it has appeared on several live albums and it was included in the compilation package Wingspan, Hits and History from 2001. Herb is leaning heavily on the bar, his head propped up with his hand. Charlie's hair is frazzled and he has several little plastic straws in his (laughs) mouth that he's using to drink from his glass. He's also chewing on them when he's not drinking. And that's why I say, with the proper military backing, we can go anywhere in the world and say, we are Americans. Give us your girls. Herb and Charlie laugh. Herb tells Charlie it's the same way with WKRP. All the best conversations happen at bars after midnight. And all the world's problems get, get solved. solved. Yeah, It's all advertising. Oh, I know that. I know you know. I just hope you care. I do more than care. I love you. Herb has his arm around Charlie's shoulders. I love you, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie lets out a loud cackle that echoes in the empty bar. Herb sits up and he looks around. He realizes they might be getting a little loud. Herb takes his arm from around Charlie and he stares straight ahead. He looks a bit embarrassed, maybe by Charlie's loud laughter, but it might also be because Herb just said he loved him. (laughs) Charlie's head and shoulders begin slowly sinking to the countertop. He is now face down with those little plastic straws still in his mouth. (laughs) As his face gets closer to the countertop, the straws are being shoved into his mouth until they almost disappear. (laughs) 
And this is not an effect. This is really happening. He really did this. Charlie begins choking and gagging. Herb jumps up, and then he reaches under Craig T. Nelson's face, grabs a handful of these disgusting plastic straws that are in his mouth, and pulls them out. Charlie sits up, looks at Herb. They both laugh (laughs) as Herb is slapping Charlie on the back. You can see Charlie's forehead is glistening with sweat. But I would love you more if you sent some business my way. Hmm? You want to go eat now? Of course. Herb looks at his watch. He looks up at Charlie. Uh-oh. It's 2 a.m. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, jeez. Go, 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 go. I do, I do too. Charlie and Herb both shakily get to their feet. Charlie takes his breath spray out. His finger is out of control. <laughs> it's spraying everywhere. Herb grabs Charlie's hand and makes it stop. Charlie's laughing. They both take in some deep breaths. Can you drive one? Which brings us to... The line of the episode. Well, I have to drive because I can't walk. (laughs) And yes, we know we're laughing at Herb talking about driving drunk, but oh, that is such a good line. And it doesn't stop there. Can you drive me home? Because I can't see. Absolutely. I I can't see you either. The two stagger out the door, and oh, that is so funny. Oh, what a great scene. I just love it. Charlie was trying hard to cover up the night's libations with a little breath spray. Bad breath, or halitosis, has been a societal ill for as long as we've been breathing. Ancient Romans would try to hide a night of drinking by chewing on parsley sprigs. Aerosol-assisted breath potions can be traced back to the 1930s. It wasn't until 1971 that it all came together in one iconic product, and most likely what Charlie is using— A company called Binaca introduced a mint breath spray in 1971. It was sugar-free, it was in a tube small enough to fit in your pocket, and a quarter-ounce container could deliver 150 Binaca blasts. Three martini lunch drinkers thought they'd found the answer when it came to covering up their activities. And not so much. Although Binaca is very good at creating fresh breath, the smell of booze on your breath actually comes from your gut. The most Banaka can do is give bourbon fumes some refreshing mint overtones. <laughs> Banaka is still available. It was purchased as a company by Dr. Fresh Incorporated in 2008. These days, you can get Banaka in spearmint, peppermint, and cinnamon. Now we go to the bullpen. Bailey is at the filing cabinet looking through some files when Johnny enters through the studio hallway door. He tells Bailey she looks good and then asks if she knows where Herb is. She tells him she doesn't know. And we were both kind of commenting when this scene came on. Bailey does look good. Yeah, her outfit. She looks like she's going to a political rally or something with that Bright red jacket and her and dark blue, blue dress. And, yeah. Supposed to cut some commercials. He's an hour late. Venus comes into the bullpen asking if Herb is here yet. Oh, uh, you didn't hear? Spontaneous combustion. He just went up in flame. <laughs> Nothing left but a pile of synthetic ash. We hear Giving It Up For Your Love by Delbert McClinton playing from the bullpen monitor speaker. Delbert McClinton is what you'd call a working musician. His first professional stage appearance came in 1957 at the age of 17. He hit the national charts as a harmonica player on Bruce Channel's Hey Baby in 1962. He's been consistently active ever since, both touring and recording. McClinton is a blues guitarist, harmonica player, and pianist. This is one of his only pop recordings, and it is his most successful. Giving it up for your love comes from McClinton's 1980 album, The Jealous Kind. Giving it up for your love, everything. Giving it up for your love right now. Giving it up for your love, I said everything. Giving it up for your love right now, right now. The single had just peaked at number eight on the Billboard Hot 100 in December of 1980. Now, Johnny mentioned Herb had suffered from spontaneous combustion. He's referencing a phenomenon more correctly known as spontaneous human combustion, or 
SHC. The idea and term were first proposed in 1746 by Paul Rowley, a fellow of the Royal Society. It was all he could come up with as a way to explain the mysterious death of Countess Cornelia Zangari Bondi. Did I say that correctly? I have no idea. I've never heard it pronounced before, but I think you did a great job. All right, thank you. Since Rowley's account in the 1740s, about 200 cases of SHC have been reported worldwide. That's 200 cases in about 300 years, making SHC an incredibly rare occurrence. Modern studies of the phenomenon have concluded there's no spontaneous to the combustion. Something else usually lights the fire. Shockingly, the entire body of the victim, except usually for their hands and feet, is consumed during the process. The most popular theory for what really happens during SHC is called the wick effect. According to studies, and they've looked at these 200 victims or whatever, most SHC victims are long-term alcoholics. They're also usually sedentary elderly females who live alone, so they're only checked on by others rarely. Now, most SHC victims also tend to be smokers, which is why researchers think the ignition is from an outside source. Okay, now this gets a little gross, (laughs) but here's what they think happens in one of the most popular explanations for total human combustion. The victim dies, has a heart attack, a stroke, an aneurysm, whatever, while sitting alone and smoking. The cigarette falls to their clothing and ignites a small flame. The small fire in the fabric of their clothing is enough to break the skin. It may not even flare up, just kind of smolder and get hot. The break in the skin allows the fire to be fed by the victim's fat. They burn slowly and at a low heat, like a candle. Left alone, eventually the entire body will be consumed this way. I would smolder for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I've got so much fat. All that's left is charred clothing. In reported cases, even the chair they were sitting in sometimes survives the fire. And this is kind of a radical new theory about this because they used to think it was like a real conflagration, like Like a a horrible big fire. And now they've decided it's this long, slow kind of smoldering process that has to happen over several hours or possibly even days. But the effect is still the same. You're left with nothing but a pile of smoldering ash. That's it. Bailey looks at her watch. If he doesn't come back in a a half an hour, you two can take me to lunch. No, no, no. DJs don't take. We get taken. That's business. Lysander's through the glass doors just in time to hear Bailey say... I want to get taken. Buy some swampland. Johnny comments that Les Nessman just made a joke. Part of my image, a little more showbiz, you know what I mean? I don't think you need it. Les tells them he doesn't think it's a question of need. Certainly isn't. Les says, Johnny, what that's supposed to mean? Johnny tells Les he thinks he's funny just the way he is. Oops. Les starts walking towards Johnny. Look, Johnny. Les. What? You're fixating. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. It's... Thank you, baby. I'm sorry. Les's Swampland joke is, like most of Les's references, pretty dated. Getting sold Swampland in Florida is an American phrase that dates to the 1920s. In the booming land mania of the 1920s, scammers started to sell tracts of land in Florida to buyers, sight unseen. When the buyer finally gets to their property... Oftentimes, after it's paid for, they discover it sits underwater. One of the original scammers to sell swampland in Florida was Charles Ponzi, the man who the Ponzi scheme is named after. Walt Disney caused a resurgence of swampland scams when he bought up a whole bunch of Florida swampland in the 1960s. His swampland would eventually become Disney World. Everyone else who bought into the swindles was stuck with just regular old swampland. Because they didn't have a mouse. They didn't have the mouse. These days, thanks to the internet, 
There's a whole new crop of swampland scammers out there. Don't be a victim. Don't buy land in Florida. Sight unseen. Sight unseen. <laughs> I just shut gonna, down Florida right there. people from Florida Don't calling. buy any land in Florida anywhere, ever. Herb comes into the bullpen through the main doors. He's walking very gingerly, staring straight ahead. In one hand, he's carrying a brown paper bag. It seems to have a bottle in it. Johnny yells out his name and slaps the desk. Herb cringes, closing his eyes tightly. He makes his way over to the speaker on the wall and he turns the volume off. Johnny asks Herb if they're going to cut the spots or not. Spots for what? The record shop guy? Herb puts his hand on his head, suddenly remembering. Tell you what, we'll, uh... Do it a little later. Sorry, I forgot. Herb puts the bag on his desk and he pulls out a bottle of scotch. From his desk drawer, he pulls out an even bigger bottle, only this one is more than half empty. Putting a funnel in the half-empty bottle, he begins to pour the full bottle into the half-empty bottle. What are you doing? Aging scotch. (laughs) That's pathetic. And here's where he got Margison's very old scotch. Proof that a lot of scotch drinkers, they really can't tell the difference. Pour the cheap stuff into the expensive bottle, they'll never know. (laughs) Johnny stands up and tells Herb he and Venus are supposed to get $35 each for cutting those spots. Herb tells them they'll do it tomorrow. Venus is not happy about this. You said today. He says to give him a break. He's on a roll these days. Keep sucking down that juice. You're going to roll your life away. Herb spins around in his chair and faces Venus and Johnny. Okay, just just listen for a second, okay? I mean, I am working on the biggest deal of my life, and it's okay if I forget about some penny-ante 30-second spot. dig a Herb's quoting some Rip Tide here. We first heard this line from Rip. During Dr. Fever and Mr. Tide, part one. My wank is my word, diggy-voo. <laughs> Herb is looking at Johnny and Venus, his eyebrows furrowed. Let's hit it, man. This is just jive. You assertive. Nah, come on. Don't waste your breath. Johnny and Venus leave the bullpen. Herb puts his head in his hands and leans on his desk. Is it just me or is there some tension in this room? I think it's tense. <laughs> It's tense, yes. Herb is rubbing his temples as the screen fades to black. Now we're back in the bar where Herb and Charlie are sitting at a table. They're finishing up a meal. Now, had you been watching in March of 1981, you'd have heard the song Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles playing over the sound system. This is what it sounded like originally. What stuff's that? Don, you know what I'm talking about. You know that package that says why the agency you work for should put commercials on the radio station I work for. Now, Hugh Wilson first envisioned the show loaded with Beatles songs until he found out how much those clips were going to cost him. This cut, first season's I'm Down, and Come Together in season four will be the only three Beatles tunes in the entire series. Now, not surprising, Shout Factory was unable to get clearance on any of the three Beatles songs, so we get generic filler instead. In this case, since we're in a restaurant instead of on the air, it's not so obvious we've lost a song. This is what the Shout Factory workaround sounds like. What stuff's that? Don, you know what I'm talking about. You know that package that says why the agency you work for should put commercials on the radio station I work for. We don't get to hear it, but... We can at least talk about it. Here Comes the Sun is from the Beatles' 1969 Abbey Road album. It was written by George Harrison while he was hiding out at Eric Clapton's house during one of the band meltdowns from the Get Back, Let It Be sessions. It's considered his best-known composition. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun. It's Amazingly, as well-known as it is, 
Here Comes the Sun was never released as a single by the Beatles. The only appearance of it on the charts was a Richie Havens cover in 1971. Here Comes the Sun was used as the feature song in promotions for the 2019 50th anniversary reissue of Abbey Road. It is also the most streamed Beatles song on Spotify globally. Herb and Charlie each have a scotch sitting in front of them. Did you get a chance to look over that stuff that I left with you a month ago? Charlie tells him he sure did. Then smiling, he says... What stuff's that? Yeah, Charlie's messing with Herb. Herb reminds him. Don, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You know that package that says why the agency you work for should put commercials on the radio station I work for. Charlie looks at Herb and tells him he thought it was great. Herb stands up and says, hey, let's go over to your office and sign some stuff. Oh, I'd love to. All right. I still have an office. Herb stares at Charlie. (laughs) What? (laughs) Well, I still got an office uh, until I find another job. You know, I'm not with the agency anymore. You know how it goes. And hold on a minute. When Herb stood up, it's It's time. time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. We've seen this one before, but it is well worth mentioning again. Herb is decked out in brown, white, gray, green, and (laughs) orange plaid pants and matching brown, white, gray, green, and orange plaid jacket with a shades of brown diagonally striped tie. This is a lot of plaid, but it goes well with the tie. It does go well with the tie. And he's wearing two-tone brown and white shoes. Finding out Charlie is fired is a real blow. Herb sits back down like he's not sure what he just heard. What? Charlie puts his hand on Herb's shoulder. Yeah, I got fired a couple weeks ago. I mean, you know how those guys are? Any excuse and... And I'll tell you something, you know, I don't drink that much either. You know? Herb says, sure, he picks up his drink and he starts to take a sip. Oh, I thought I told you all about it. No, 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 I didn't. Oh, gee, I thought I had. Well, you want another drink? What? Another drink. Oh, yeah, sure, why not? All right. Yeah, he didn't tell Herb Mm-mm. about it. He had to scam a couple of more free dinners off of Herb. And drinks. And drinks as Charlie signals the bartender. What does he say? Tingle? Tingle. I, it sounds like tingle. Tingle. Hey, hey, bring hey it. Maybe tingle. tingle. And there, or tingle, like he's ringing a bell. No, he's bring holding them. up his glass and shaking Yes, it. to bring them two more drinks. Tingle. We transition to the entrance to the lobby. Johnny is walking out and he bumps into Herb coming in. And we have another song substitution from Shout Factory. Actually, this is less of a substitution and more of a muting. Had you been watching in 1981 the song I Will Follow by then-unknown band U2 would have been playing over the monitors in the background. It sounded like this. Really? Yeah. Big money. Where's the ticket? Uh, in my desk. Not according to Les. Not surprising, but Shout Factory was unable to clear a song by the now massively successful Irish rockers U2. So instead of replacing the U2 cut, they went with nothing. Even though we don't get to hear it, we do want to mention I Will Follow by U2. It's the first track from their October 1980 debut album, Boy. Lead singer Bono wrote the lyrics as a tribute to his mother, who had died when he was 14. This was the band's first music video. The song has been released five times, both as studio and live versions. Nothing came out of this release. The only version of I Will Follow to chart in the U.S. was a 1983 live release. It peaked at number 81 in 1984. So Johnny and Herb are in the doorway of the lobby, and Johnny tells Herb he thinks his ticket came in. Herb asks him what he means. You remember a couple of weeks ago, the Irish sweepstakes ticket? We ran down all the numbers in the series, I think that you have a $1,000 winner, my friend. Really? Yeah. 
Big money. Where's the ticket? Herb tells Johnny it's in his desk. Not according to Les. And I love the call back. Les seems to spend a lot of time in Herb's desk. I think he does. Now we're in the bullpen where Herb is emptying his desk drawers looking for that sweepstakes ticket. Les is standing beside Herb's desk with his arms folded across his chest. Herb says he doesn't remember any ticket. You were polluted. (laughs) A lot of helpless is polluted. Polluted. <laughs> the door to the bullpen flies open, and an angry Andy is standing in the doorway. I want to see you right now. What for? Not you. Why not? Because I want to see him. <laughs> Andy points at Herb. How come? Stop it, Les. <laughs> And he motions for Herb to come on. <laughs> that was pretty funny, that whole interchange there. <laughs> Mr. Carlson, Andy, and Herb are in Mr. Carlson's office. Andy closes the door and he looks at Herb. You smell like a distillery. Come on, I've got on about six bucks worth of cologne. Andy tells Herb <laughs> they need to have a little chat. Spare me, please, Travis. I'm not kidding, Herb. I talked to you about this before, and and, and what? Andy looks at Herb. A couple of weeks ago, you signed a guy to a clean, simple little deal for some commercials for his record store. Oh my God, Marcus. That's right, Marcus. Herb has his hand up to his forehead. Now you let that slide, and you let it slide and slide and slide. Now that guy has pulled those commercials, Herb, and he has signed with PIG. So nice going. Herb heads to the door. Maybe I can fix it. It's past fixing, Herb. Now you're messing up. Andy's pointing at Herb as he says this. Herb turns and looks at Andy and Mr. Carlson, and he's looking a little stressed. What if I told you that I was having serious troubles at home? Oh. And he gets a concerned look on his face. Is that true? No. (laughs) Herb says if it were true, his behavior would be acceptable then, right? And he tells Herb that's not the point. Here's the point. Acceptable behavior, right? I mean, why is it okay for certain people to come floating in here on who knows what? But if I have one drink... I don't care what people's hobbies are, but I do care about the quality of their work, and I don't care who it is if they start blowing it. I think the hobby Andy's referring to might involve Johnny's horticultural pursuits. Yes, their hobbies at home. Herb asks Andy what he wants him to do. I want you to shape up. So what's new, Travis? Herb leaves the office slamming the door. Mm. Andy stands for a moment not knowing what to do. He turns to Art. Why don't you ever say anything? (laughs) Because I'm the strong silent type. (laughs) We move to the bullpen where all the lights are off and Herb is sitting at his desk. Mr. Carlson enters and asks Herb what he's doing. Herb tells him he's waiting on a call from Mr. Margison. Carlson puts two styrofoam cups on Herb's desk, opens his desk drawer, and takes out the bottle of scotch. Carlson begins pouring the scotch into the cups. You know what? Travis was way out of line this afternoon. Eh, maybe. Why didn't you say something in there? Carlson tells Herb he didn't say anything because he agreed with him. Herb tells Art Travis practically called him an alcoholic. Statistically, you are. (laughs) What? Yeah. People who drink every day are considered to be alcoholics. You drink every day? Yeah. Do you need to? Herb tells Carlson, no, he doesn't need to. Checking in with the Betty Ford Clinic, signs of alcoholism include drinking more than you intended. It's 2 a.m. Oh, okay. Oh, it's 2 a.m. Go, 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 go. I do, I do too. Putting yourself in physically hazardous situations while drinking. Well, I have to drive because I can't walk. Failing to fulfill duties at work. Tell you what, we'll, uh... Do it a little later, huh? Sorry, I forgot. Showing an increased tolerance to alcohol. Well, I don't know how you do it. A couple more lunches like this, and I'm going to be an alcoholic. <laughs> just out of shape. Becoming dishonest, secretive, or moody. Okay, just just listen for a second, okay? I mean, I, I am working on the biggest deal of my life, and it's okay if I forget about some penny-ante 30-second spot. dig a <laughs> And craving alcohol, like every day, like even in the morning. Herb stands up and begins pacing. But I'll tell you why I do. It, uh, it, it helps me in my job. You know, I, well, Herb doesn't get to be mellow or laid back, you know. I mean, you know what it's like to always have to be up? You know, I, I've always got to be on regardless of what kind of jerk I'm dealing with. <laughs> so I, I just use it for a crutch. Art nods his head. He tells Herb he's not judging him. Everyone has their own way of dealing with things. I have trouble dealing with people, so I have Jennifer tell them I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's my little crotch, I guess. Herb tells Mr. Carlson that that's a tool. Mr. Carlson tells her, but it's a tool if it helps you. What if it starts to interfere, get in the road? I mean, if, if you weren't so up, so on, wouldn't you have you noticed that this advertising agency guy was a no-go a lot earlier? Herb looks down at the floor and then asks Mr. Carlson how he knew about that. Oh, Herb, you're a great salesman. Heck, without that crutch, you'd have sold that guy a long time ago. Herb tells Carlson it looked like the start of big times. He could see it coming. It's a case of blurred vision. <laughs> However, I'm not lecturing. Carlson and Herb both take a drink from their cups. Herb looks at his cup and then puts it on his desk. He puts his hands in his pockets. You think I'm an alcoholic? Before Art can say anything, the phone rings. Herb says, excuse me. He punches the receiver and goes into salesman mode. Yo. Yeah, this is he. Ah, Mr. Margison, how are you doing this evening? Herb tells Margison he called to straighten out the little mess they've got. Herb gets a confused look on his face, and he asks Margison why he wants to thank him. Sweepstakes? Oh, it did, huh? Now the thousand bucks. <laughs> Herb puts his head in his hand. Five thousand? <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. I'm real glad. Uh, I, I, I tell you what. Why don't you and I get together and have a couple of drinks and talk about advertising with us? Oh. <laughs> Mr. Carlson is shaking his head as he looks down at the floor. I, I, I know. I know. I know. Why, why should you? I... Yes. Yes, I know. I'm more than lucky. Herb is holding the phone away from his ear. I think he's getting chewed out. He then puts the phone back up to his ear. Good night. Herb sits for a bit, hands folded on his desk. Then he begins to giggle. He stands up and looks at Mr. Carlson. I, I don't believe it. What's that? <laughs> well, I uh, I gave away a $5,000 ticket, and I don't remember it. <laughs> I, I, I've been hung over for a month. Uh, you know, I got taken by a drunk, and I didn't even, even know what was happening. I, I haven't seen my kids in weeks. <sighs> Hasn't been a good month. Herb is shaking his head and rubbing his hand across his face. Herb, maybe somebody up there is trying to tell you something. It, however, I'm I, not lecturing. Uh, no, no, I know. <laughs> you know, Herb, but really, I, I don't think you're in too bad a shape, but, but I, I let it get ahead of me. Herb sits back down at his desk. He tells Carlson that maybe Travis is right. Maybe he is messing up. Maybe I am a drunk. Herb is shaking his head as this is all sinking in. Maybe. And then again, maybe I'm dead. Herb looks at Art and says, Seriously. Art tells Herb maybe he's headed for a problem, but he doesn't think so. Sure, you let this thing get a little out of hand, but heck, you can nip this in the bud. Stop it before it really gets serious. But what you want to do is, is see where you are right here, see, and then take a look at where you're headed. However, I'm, I'm not lecturing. Herb nods his head, letting Art know he's hearing what he's saying. However, there is one thing I do want to know, and I want to have an honest answer. Art picks up the bottle of scotch. Did you make the scotch yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Herb smiles and stands up. He tells Art, eh, sort of. He takes the bottle from Carlson and tightens the lid. Tell you what, big guy. You don't want to drink that stuff. Uh, that'll kill you. That's my thinking exactly. Not that I'm lecturing. Laughing, they slap each other on the back. Art asks Herb if he wants a cup of coffee. You got it. They leave the bullpen with their arms around each other. And we come back to our capper scene to find Herb walking down the hallway outside the studio in a seemingly great mood. And we've got a poster watch. Yay! Since we didn't make it into the studio or the programming office this entire episode, we're taking a look at the poster at the end of the hallway. Through the door, all the way upstage, you'll find a poster for Neil Young's October 1980 album, Hawks and Doves. It was his 10th studio album, and kind of an odd project. One side was taken entirely from sessions recorded between 1974 and 77. The other side was recorded specifically for the project in 1980. It's short, less than half an hour, with only nine cuts. It would peak at number 30 on the Billboard album chart. 
and there were no singles. So Herb is coming down the hallway, and Andy comes out of the studio. He tells Herb he's looking bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. What's wrong? (laughs) Nothing, nothing. Um, Look, I wanted to apologize for being such an idiot the other day. I I just... uh... Andy holds up his hand for Herb to stop. Don't mention it. We know you can't help it. (laughs) Herb asks Andy if he's had lunch. Andy tells him he has not. Herb tells him it's on him, and they head down the hallway. The song playing in the background as the lunch crew assembles is I Have the Skill by The Sherbs. The Sherbs were an Australian pop rock quintet led by a guy named Daryl Braithwaite. They'd had a charted single in 1976 called How's That under the band name Sherbet. Somebody, probably a record exec, thought Sherbs was a cooler name. This cut also made the charts barely in March of 1981. It was sneaking onto the Hot 100 as this episode was airing. And weirdly, both Sherb's singles peaked at number 61 on the U.S. Hot 100. So that means the same exact number of people bought each one of the Sherb singles. Bailey comes out of the studio door and sees Andy and Herb and asks where they're going. Herb tells her they're going to lunch. Andy invites Bailey to come with them. Oh, really? Sure, Herb's buying. Haley tells him, okay, and to hold on a minute. Bailey opens the door leading to the bullpen. Now, hold on a minute. I think Herb's been conned. I think so. And did you see when Bailey opened the door and you look in, there's less at Herb's desk. He's got a drawer open and he's looking through it. That's how he knows so much mm-hmm. about what's going on in Herb's desk. And Bailey catches him. He slams the drawer shut. Les, come on, hurry up. Herb's taking us to lunch. Ooh, come on, Johnny, lunch. Come on, Venus. Johnny's head appears in the doorway, and then Venus comes rolling over <laughs> in the rolling chair. Les, Johnny, and Venus all scramble to get out of the door. They're pushing and shoving each other, anxious to go to lunch. Herb's buying. And the scene fades to black on a fun one with another serious message. A lot of big messages this season and a lot of Herb-based episodes this season. So what is up for next week? Oh, that's me. How about how about I do this? How about hang on? So what is up for next week, Donna? Put on your fancy clothes. We're gonna be going to a simple little wedding. Arthur and Carmen's 25th wedding anniversary is approaching, and they plan to have the wedding ceremony that they never had because their marriage was an elopement. Unfortunately, Mama has her own plans for the ceremony. Mama is back next week, and we get to meet one of the most iconic characters of the series, (laughs) but he really only shows up in the fourth season. We get a touch of him here. You're going to have to wait till next week. We're not going to tell you, but you'll meet him next week. So that's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. We'll tell you how to do that. You can also find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPCast. And get on there and comment about the episodes. We love that. For more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPCast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. May the good news be yours. The WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!